I'm going to read you something, um, and this is from the chapter talked about the game of inches, and it's kind of crazy. Listen to this. As Taylor Wilkerson crossed the George Washington Bridge, he felt prompted to pray for the New York City neighborhood God had called him to. Harlem was the epicenter of a cultural renaissance in the 1920s, but the Great Depression, coupled with deindustrialization, left crime and poverty in its wake. As Taylor circled Harlem in his car, the Lord kept telling him just a little further. Remember that, just a little further. Ninety minutes later, Taylor prayed one final prayer as he headed home. Even now, Lord, give me an opportunity to reach someone. After parking his car, Taylor hadn't taken five steps when he made eye contact with Michael. Taylor asked him a rather bold question. Do you like your life? Looking down at the ground, Michael said, no, I hate my life. I messed it up. When Taylor asked Michael if he knew Jesus, Michael proudly revealed a chain around his neck. Yeah, I keep him around my neck. Taylor gently explained that wearing Jesus around your neck is, isn't enough, that you have to invite him into your heart. Then Taylor asked Michael if, he, if he'd ever been to church. This is where it gets crazy. A few years ago, I was in downtown Manhattan, Michael said, when an old white dude stopped me and invited me to church. He was dressed all nice in a suit. Later that day, I went there, and it turns out he was the pastor. Have you heard of Times Square Church? Taylor laughed to himself but kept a poker face. He asked Michael if he remembered the pastor's name. Michael said, i got to think about it. Uh, it was Wilkerson. Yeah, David Wilkerson. Then Taylor tipped his hand. Do you want to know my name? My name is Taylor David Wilkerson. Michael is the last person to tell you about Jesus. That's my great uncle, David Wilkerson. Now, and now Jesus sent me to remind you that it's not too late to start over. When God tells you to go a little further... A divine appointment might be two inches or two seconds away. If you ignore the prompting, you miss the miracle. If you obey the prompting, you get to go down the rabbit hole. Nothing sets us up for a miracle like going the extra mile just a little further. That's when God shows up and shows off. One small step of faith can turn into a giant leap. One chase can change the trajectory of your life or someone else's in eternity. I fully believe that we're supposed to go a little further down the hill. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday evening of this this week and we're supposed to just make ourselves available and see where God is at work and and I believe with all my heart God's going to change somebody's destiny you can be a part of it or you can watch Netflix your choice all right y'all see what happens when I go on vacation I mean it just it, stuff happens okay um that's the announcements let's get into the sermon week two of of Soul Detox. I want to show you some weightlifting fails. Give me the first one. Now, this is an Olympic caliber weightlifter. Would you say that that, that, that weight was probably too heavy for him? Here's another one. We're, we're at equal opportunity. This is an Olympic a woman, Olympic athlete, and, and that does not look like fun at all. Now, we're not just picking on Olympic athletes here. Check this one out. This is, this is the average Joe at the gym. Do you think this is going to end well? No, it's not. Now, I'm not trying to make fun of them, but I'm, I'm trying to tell you that a lot of people, especially right now, they're being crushed in their souls as these people are being crushed physically. Are you with me? They're trying to carry weight that they were never designed to carry, that God never intended for them to carry, and it's crushing them. Can you relate to that? Can you understand what I'm trying to get across here? Now, if you missed us uh, last week, if you missed the sermon, here's the key thought that's taking us through the next three weeks of our sermon. Uh, sermon series and it comes from genesis chapter 2 verse 7 i didn't put this back there nate i really didn't put this one back there this week nate um so it comes from genesis chapter 2 uh, verse 7 the king james version that's a shout out to casey and and it says that god 
formed Adam from the dust of the ground. He picked up the dust and he formed a body, an outer shell that is going to house something. And then it says that God breathed into that shell, that empty body, and it said that, that Adam became a living soul. So here's the key thought that's going through our series. We are not a body with a soul. We're a soul with a body. And just by the way, I'm going to by the way several times today. Um, we do have listening guides in the back. We started doing that. We're not going to pass them out because we're going to avoid the COVID scare. If you want to take one, though, you be, feel free to take one. You can also find it on our uh, app, our church app, each week. We are not a, a body with a soul. We're a soul with a body. And listen to what the Bible says about that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down. If you've been to a funeral, I preach. I'm going to use this every time because I'm going to try to point out to grieving people that this body was never intended to be permanent. It was a tent is what the Bible calls it. When it's taken down, then, it, then in case you don't know, it says that is when we die and leave this earthly body. This body was never meant to be permanent. Look what it says. We will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us for, for God, by God himself and not by human hands. And then look what it says in 1 Timothy about physical exercise. Physical exercise has some value. How much value? Now look at this. But spiritual exercise is valuable in every way. How valuable is it? In every way, because it promises both life for the present and for the future. The Bible is incredibly practical, and it says that, that exercise is good. This body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who we have in, inside of us, and we're supposed to take care of it. But it should not, this temple should not be an idol that we put up on a throne and worship. That's, that's left for God alone. This, this body is a tent, never intended to be a permanent structure. What is permanent is your soul, and what is happening is our souls are burdened, and our souls are heavy, and people are having a hard time. There's this, what I call a pandemic mindset, where, where people, um, people who are already anxious, and then they're, they're taken away from their normal routines, and they're in their homes, they are anxious like crazy. And, and I've heard that, that, that there's been an incredible increase in people coming to the emergency room at Palestine Regional with suicidal ideations because they're distraught. Their lives have been turned upside down. Their souls are heavy. But I'm going to tell you today, God never intended for us to live with that. You do not have to have a heavy soul. And I'm going to tell you that it's not new to 2020. In fact, look at the scripture, Psalm 42.5. It goes all the way back thousands of years ago. And look what the psalmist asked. By the way, that was, there's another by the way. I've got to quit saying that. That's five times already I've said by the way, six times. Um, Psalm 42 that I showed you the video is an adaptation of Psalm 42 that we're going to read right here. Why are you downcast? He's going to ask this again. Why, oh, my soul, why so disturbed? Why? We want to discover why today. Why are people having heavy souls today? We're going to figure that out, and we're going to learn how to deal with it. Why are souls heavy? Real quickly, first, hurts from the past. Hurts from the past. Jeremiah is a great example of this. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, and, and it's kind of funny. I, I've been studying my way through the Old Testament. I'm almost finished with the Old Testament, but every book of the Old Testament has become my favorite book of the Old Testament as I'm studying it. I used to, I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't like Jeremiah because Jeremiah was kind of a whiner, but now that I've studied and I understand where he's coming from, I'm like, oh man, I'm kind of Jeremiah. I've kind of been a whining pastor sometimes. Look what he says. I remember my affliction and my wandering. He remembers what? My affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and what happens when I remember them? My soul is what? Downcast within me. Someone betrayed you. You've been betrayed, and your soul is downcast. Jeremiah actually thought God had betrayed him, and, and he actually says, God, you betrayed me. It wasn't true. It felt like it, but it wasn't true. 
you missed a great opportunity that you'll never get another chance and, and your soul is downcast. You said something you, you wish you could take back, but you can't take it back. You regret something you did, but you can't go back and change the past and your soul is downcast. Your soul is heavy within you. Would you admit, who would admit you've done something in your past that when you think about it, when you remember it, your soul is downcast? Let me see your hands. That's most of us. Second reason our souls are heavy is trouble in the present. Some people are like, past or the past? I got trouble now, right? That's the problem. Nothing I can do about the past. I got trouble today. One of Job's friends tried to be, I say friends, I should do friends, because he's not really a friend and he's not really helpful. Here's what he says to Job in Job chapter 4, verse 5. But now trouble comes to you, you're discouraged, it strikes you, and you're dismayed. So he, he starts off and he says, Job, you were very helpful to other people with your words, but now I'm going to try to help you with my words. He wasn't helpful, but he did point out the timing of the problem. When was the problem? Now. You have a problem. Many of you are in the midst of something right now, and you're saying, this is not what I planned. This is not where I intended to be. Janie and I kind of have this running joke now about an alternate universe, right? So when we've gone through some difficult times, and, and we've gone through some, some downcast soul times, Janie will say, you want to hear about my alternate universe? Sometimes we'd be driving, and, you know, it's just the two of us, and she tells me about her alternate universe. And in her alternate universe, everything's great. The sun is shining. It's awesome. We're sitting on a beach. I don't know. Everything is awesome in her alternate universe. And I mentioned this to her the other day. I said, hey, uh, something about an alternate universe. And she goes, I haven't lived in my alternate universe in a long time, which means we haven't gone through downcast souls in a while. But let me tell you about my alternate universe. I actually said this to her yesterday. Walking by the, the laundry room, she's washing some clothes. I'm about to go mow the lawn. I said, hey, you want to know what my alternate universe is? She said, she said, yeah, and I said, you and 15 other people should be in Belize right now. They were supposed to fly yesterday to Belize. And I was flying back in, in the alternate universe. I was going to be flying back from Israel. I was supposed to lead a group for praying Pelican in Israel. I was going to fly to Houston, so I would have been in Houston last night at the hotel, got up this morning, flown to Belize to do another mission trip, alternate universe. For whatever reason, God didn't have that plan. But people are saying, I don't know what to do now. And, and you can think all you want to about alternate universe. Does it do any good? No, it might make you crazy. It might make your soul more downcast. What you have to do sometimes is just trust God in the midst of it. So how many of you have trouble right now? All right, there's a few of us. The other reason our souls are heavy is because of worry about the future. These folks are consumed by the what-ifs. What if we don't have enough money? What if, what if we get COVID? What if one of us gets sick? What if, what if we get pregnant? What if we can't get pregnant? What if we get cancer? What if we don't get cancer? What if, what if, what if, what if? We're paralyzed today because we're worried about the future. Now, I want you to see something. Jesus was fully man, fully God at the same time. And there was a moment when he looked ahead to the pain that was going to be on the cross and his soul was distraught. Being fully God, he knew that when he became sin on the cross, that God the Father would not be able to look on him because God the Father is perfect, could not look on sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He knew this was going to happen, and he knew he was going to cry out and say, Oh God, why have you abandoned me or why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew all of this, and he was distraught, and he gathers his friends around him, and he goes to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and I can see it. I've been there, and I want you to go there with me someday hopefully we get to go next year but in the garden of gethsemane in the eastern gate of the old city of jerusalem is just right up the hill and jesus falls down and he prays this look what it says in, in mark 14 he took peter james and john with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed and he told them not my mind not my body but what is crushed 
My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. His soul was crushed. Some of you, your soul is crushed right now. As you look back, trouble. As you look around the present, trouble. As you look to the future, trouble. And you're going, Doug, you're a punk. Quit reminding me of trouble. Well, we got to be real today. Your heavenly father has a message for you and you don't have to carry it. Here's what I want you to see. And you're gonna, I'm going to read it and then you're going to repeat after me. Go ahead and put the next one up there. Heaviness of soul is a warning sign that the enemy of God is attacking me and winning the war. Repeat after me. Heaviness of soul is a warning sign that the enemy of God is attacking Attacking me, say me, and winning the war. Let's read it again. Heaviness of soul, read it with me, is a warning sign that the enemy of God is attacking me and he's winning the war. It should be this enormous alarm that goes off in your life. Psalm 42, why are you downcast on my soul? Why disturbed within me? And then here's what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn how to preach to our soul. And this is what the psalmist does. I wish I had time to tell you about the sons of Korah who wrote this. Ask me later. This is an awesome story. But the sons of Korah wrote this psalm. He begins to preach to himself and he says, Put your hope in God. Stop whining, soul, and look to God. Stop being a big baby. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I love how the video ended it. I'm going to praise you here now. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to praise you right now. How often do we have church? Once a week, not a trick question. How often do we have small groups when we're having small groups? Once a week. How often do we have men's Bible study? How often do we have women's Bible study? How often do we have Celebrate Recovery? How often are you attacked by the enemy of God? Every day, every hour, sometimes every minute. If you wait until you hear preaching on a Sunday morning at 11 or 10 a.m., you're going to be whipped before you ever get there. You've got to learn to preach to yourself, to preach to your own soul. Every day you have things said to you, have, you have things said about you, and they come into one of two categories, truth or trash. You need to learn to discern what is truth, what is trash. If the words are hurtful and inconsistent with the word of God, are they truth or trash? If the words are helpful, but your attitude is mean and condescending, and your words push me away from God and from you, is that truth or trash? Trash. However, if you love me and your words are concerned and I can see on your face and I can feel in your, the tone of your voice that you love me and even if you say something that's hurtful to me, is it truth or trash? It's truth. The Bible says better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. Sometimes you need someone to tell you the truth. So is the Bible truth or trash? Truth. Most of the words that you see on the internet, truth or trash? Trash, thank you. A God-fearing friend who points you to Jesus, are their words truth or trash? A godless friend who wants nothing more than to drag you away from Jesus, are their words usually truth or trash? Trash, learn to discern. You don't have to live with the heaviness of soul. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to preach to our soul. And we're gonna, this is what we're going to preach. Look to God in the past. Look for God in your past. When you're tempted to look back, at the problems, the hurts, the habits, the hang-ups of your past, you need to refocus. So that's what we're going to say. Change your focus. Change the channel. It's what happened in Psalm 42. He was looking back. He was hurt. He changed the channel and began to focus on God. And that's what happens to Jeremiah, too, in, in Lamentations 3. We're going to read the rest of the story. So here he says in verse 19, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Where is the focus in those, in those first two verses? 
on the pain, not on God. But then look what he says. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And here's what I want you to repeat. You're going to say this. Hope comes from a changed focus. Say that. Say it like you mean it. Hope comes from a changed focus. Look, where you, look what happens. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. How, how often are they new? Every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And in just a minute, we're going to listen to that song, Great is Your Faithfulness. And I hope it takes on a new meaning for you today. Whatever you focus on determines where you end up in life. You focus on the problem, you're going to be downcast. You focus on your problems long enough, you're going to be depressed. But if you focus on God, the heaviness in your soul will be lifted. Why? Because the problems are gone? No, because the problem solver, capital S, that's the next one. Go ahead and put that up there. The problem solver is involved. Thank you. I like it when you talk to me. Talk to any Christ follower who's walked with God for any amount of time. And, and let me make a quick distinction here. Not someone who calls themselves a Christian. Someone who, who even their enemies say, well, you know what? They walk with God. Can I tell you? Most Christ followers, I know, really shouldn't tell anyone they're a Christ follower because their actions, their attitudes, their words dishonor the one they say they follow. You've got to be very, very careful. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, then you need to follow Christ. And let me, Paul said this, and I'm going to say this today. As a leader in a church, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And if I'm following Christ, it is okay to follow me. If I'm not following Christ, by all means, don't follow. You need to remember who God is. So let me just run through just a little history of new life before that. Remember when you were first called and God first wiped out your sins and you first realized that you were free? I was in sixth grade. I mean, sixth grade. I was six years old. I was in first grade. And the next day, Saturday, uh, Sunday night, I walked down the aisle. The next day, the teacher said, anybody have anything good happen this weekend? I said, I got saved. And she said, well, tell us about it. I mean, that's, that's a different time, right? So I stood up. I walked down the aisle, and I'm saved. I was preaching my first sermon, six years old, in, in first grade. And I'm going to be baptized. You should come. You know, that type of deal. Remember, remember when your sins were wiped away and you realized I'm free and I'm a child of the king. Remember that. Remember the time you thought you would never make it and God showed up and did something for you? Remember the time New Life Community Church needed a building and we bought this building that was falling down and we bought this house over here in the 2.1 acres for $150,000? Y'all remember that? That was 18 years ago, just, just June 22nd. And remember when we bought this building and, and there was all drop ceiling the whole way and it was nasty. It was so bad that we knocked all down 10,800 square feet of drop ceiling and insulation. We tore it out. We threw it in the dumpsters. It was disgusting. My children, we actually have pictures where my children are hiding. You know, so this was, this was 12 years ago. My children were hiding, behind, not even bending down. They're behind the piles of drop ceiling and, and insulation that stunk. And they're going, hey, Dad, can you see us? No, it was so full of junk. We bought this place not having a dime to our name to remodel it. 
And we decided after we looked at some stuff, we thought, okay, we can remodel this and the house for $100,000. Well, the bank said, well, the building and the house and the 2.1 acres, they're worth $150,000, but we're not giving you any more money until you have an appraiser come. So we had to write out everything we were going to do, put down the carpet, the chairs. We had to put down video equipment, what we were going to do, the tile out there, the walls we were going to build, the sheetrock, the paint, everything we were going to do. And you remember, remember waiting on the phone call from the appraiser because we were going, please let it be $250,000 because we needed a hundred grand to remodel this place. Please let it be 250. Please let it be. This went on and went on. And the brazer calls. I'm going, oh, please let it be 250. And he goes, well, from what you've given me, I determined that the building is going to be worth about $400,000. Is that enough? I said, praise God. And I'm not kidding. Remember calling the bank? I called the bank and I said, I'm going to send you this appraisal. And the bank calls me back and they go, do you want more than $100,000? We're like, no, a quarter of a million dollars for a church our size? Whoa, no, no, no. And remember we went into this building program in 2010 to pay off our debt? And people told me I was crazy to do an eight-week giving sermon series and then at the end of those eight weeks ask for people not only to commit to tithing for the next three years, but to commit to what we call the bagel, uh, building a great life, the bagel fund, over and above the tithe for the next three years. People said it couldn't be done. People in this church could, said it couldn't be done. We, we, we came in, and in the midst of that, this is the crazy thing, in the midst of that, Caleb and I are mowing, and the lady that owned the, the two and a half acres next door comes up while we're mowing. She goes, hey, do you want to buy my land? Yes, ma'am, I do. How much? $45,000. We never dimed our name we're trying to pay off two hundred fifty thousand dollars so i come back to the church and i said hey on that one day when we ask you for commitments we're also going to take up a special offering so i'm asking you to commit to tithe i'm asking you to commit to bagel which is over and above the tithe and then i want to give you i want you to give one day special offering so that we can buy this land over here people are going you're nuts ryan pence told me you're nuts on that day now let me let me back up real quick so we actually bought the land. Somebody in our church donated the $45,000 for us to buy the land. He said, when we take in the one-day offering, you can pay me back. At the end of the bagel series, this family said, just keep it. On the one-day offering, said, just keep it. You know what that did? That actually doubled our one-day offering because they gave us that $45,000. We brought in $45,000. We were able to, to buy that land in the midst of paying off debt. Now, here's the thing. Over the next three years... We paid off $200,000 of the $250,000 debt. And people are going, man, that's so good. A church your size, that's awesome. Three years, $200,000. I'm going, yeah, but it's not all of it. And we kept giving. We kept giving. And, and we actually kept paying, um, you know, into our, we've paid into our mortgage. Our mortgage was $2,177 and change. I, I, never, I always forget the change. Teresa remembers that. We still give that to our bagel fund to this day so that we have money for whatever happens. And so... We keep doing that, and, and then all of a sudden, I don't even remember the order, but I remember that, that we owed about $35,000 on this building, and, and someone walks in the door back here and hands me a check for $40,000. And I went, God is so good. And I could not wait. I called Janie and said, you're not going to believe this. And I remember standing up here before the church and saying, God has provided Little over three years, God provided. We wiped out, actually, if you add it all up, $300,000 in debt in a little over three years. And I remember going to Elkhart State Bank and writing a check for $35,000 and change and saying, here you go, we're out of debt. We're not going into debt ever again. 
God has his fingerprints all over the past of this church. And God has his fingerprints when you look all over your past as well. You're just not paying attention. You're looking at the problems. You're not looking at your God. You're not looking at the problem solver. And you need to spend some time today. If you want the heaviness of your soul to be lifted, you need to look back and say, there's God, there's God, there's God, there's God. And not, don't keep it to yourself. You need to tell someone else, this is when God showed up. Remember the time you were down and out? You were reading your Bible and a verse jumps off the page. And God speaks to your soul. You remember the time you came to church and the message seemed like it was just for you because it was. It was just custom designed by your Heavenly Father for you. You remember when you hear a, a Christian song and it ministers to your soul? That's your Heavenly Father. When we did the song King of Kings, for two months I listened to that song. And, and I could not, the first note, it's, it's, it's a hymn, and some of you don't even know the hymn. It's the, it's the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's not even part of the song we sing. But I would sit back there, I'd be in my truck, and even the day we sang it on Easter, we sang it out here. Y'all remember drive-in church? We sang it out here. And I was almost overwhelmed where I couldn't sing, but for two months when I listened to that song, I would hear, praise God from whom all blessings flow, and I would just begin to weep because God is so good, and he's done so much in our past. When you look back, you can look at the problems or you can look at the problem solver. You have a choice. Seems like an easy choice to me. Second thing you're going to preach to your soul, cry out to God today. I wish I'd said pour out, but I didn't. I said cry out. You can write pour out if you have your, your listening guide because here's the verse, Psalm 142.2. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. In order to pour them out, wouldn't you have to have a lot? David has a pitcher full of problems and he's crying out, pouring them out to God. He's in a cave hiding for his life. He's been anointed the next king, and the current king is trying to kill him. He's in the cave with a bunch of stinky men hiding for, for his life. Look what he says. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. God told, uh, David told God exactly what he was feeling. There was no attempt to dress it up. He let his feelings fly, and some of you need to do that. Some of you need to say... You've been much too proper, and you need to say, God, I'm sick of this. I'm mad as I'm not going to cuss in front of God. I, you can say mad as Hades. That's okay. That's acceptable. I, uh, why is this happening to me? When are you going to do anything, God? Because God can handle your honesty. He already knows what you're thinking. Look at what he says to us in, in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 12, he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Here's what I want you to know. You're going to be humbled one way or the other. It's much better for you if you humble yourself. First Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And then look what the, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast it, throw it with everything you have. Cast it, but don't you stop there. Psalm 142.5 says, Then I pray to you, O Lord, I say you are my place of refuge. You're all I really want in life. You stay in God's presence until you begin to worship and your heart changes. Most of us don't stay there that long. We rush into the presence of God. Then we get mad at God because he doesn't do anything for us. He doesn't fill out our Christmas wish list. How dare you, God? Pour out the heaviness of your heart, your soul, on your heavenly Father. He's, he's honored when you do that. 
And then the last thing you're going to preach to your soul is God's power is enough for the future. And, and I actually put in, I went back and put more than. So if you have your listening guide, write more than. And I, and I started out when I put this down, I said, God's power is enough for me. Nope, God's power is enough for you. And then I thought, no, God's power is more than enough for all of us, for all of the future. Second Chronicles, one of my favorite stories. Don't have time to go into all of it, but I'm going to read it to you. King Hezekiah, they're surrounded by the Assyrians. The Assyrians are eventually going to take Jerusalem, but not this day. He says to the people, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army. What kind of army? Vast army with him. For there is a greater power. Everyone say greater power. There is a greater power with us. Where is the greater power? This is important. There is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of the flesh. There are hundreds of thousands of army soldiers from Assyria surrounding Jerusalem. Hezekiah took the letter and he laid it before God on the altar. He said, God, do you hear what they're saying about you? And God says, don't be afraid. And I'm going to tell you, there have been some letters written to me that I've come up here when nobody's in this building. I've laid down. I said, God, look what they're saying about you and about me and about your church. And God has said, do not be afraid of them because there's a greater power with you. With him is only the honor of the flesh. What you see is what you get. you get. You get weapons, sure. But look what. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. The bad guys only got what they got. We got what God has. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. God has the power to raise the dead. And if you're with God, you have the power to raise the dead. Power to part the Red Sea. Power to cause the sun to stand still while Joshua went and he pursued the enemies of God. Power to heal diseases. Power to cast out demons. God's power is more than enough. Say God's power is more than enough. So why are you so downcast, oh my soul? If that is true, do you really believe it? Or you just just believe when things are going well? Are you an even-if believer? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things what? Somebody help me out. Not seen. If you're basing everything on what is seen, you're going to be sadly disappointed in this world. You don't have to live with a heaviness of soul. So I'm going to give us 60 seconds, and we're going to get alone before God. And then I know I'm running over. Let's just blame it on vacation because God's just piling up on me what I need to say. I'm going to give you 60 seconds to be alone before God so that he can begin to take away some of the detox. And then I want you to listen to this song. It's great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father, with a little bit of a, a twist put in there. And if you're watching on Facebook, you need to pay attention to this because this needs to be your song anytime that you have heaviness of soul. So bow your heads and cry out to God. Pour out whatever it is that's in your heart. And then we're going to listen to this song and we'll be dismissed. 60 seconds of silence as God begins to detox our souls.
Father, that, that I pray for John Colander because he's got more than he can handle right now. And he desperately needs you to show up in his life and him and Ann and Kennedy, Lord, remind them that great is your faithfulness. I pray for Dennis and Kathy. Thank you that he's gone through all of this chemo and radiation. Lord, thank you that he's here today. God, I, I bless you every time I see him and I pray, God, that you heal him for your name's sake. I pray for Christina, God, and the struggles that she's going through to, to get her blood sugar under control so she can have triple bypass surgery, God. I pray that you, you are real to her today. I pray for Bobby. I pray for Miss Yvonne. Um, I pray for Mona. I pray, um, God, for David. I pray for all of these folks that are struggling physically, and, and, and I pray for people who are struggling with the heaviness of soul, God, that you would be real to them today and that you would remind them that great is your faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of Changes not thy compassions, they fail not as thou hast been, thou forever will be. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their is above join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness mercy and love
Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see, all I have needed thy hand has provided, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me.